Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning. Turn the little lights on here, actually. So, what's that? Welcome to 42. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, today's a good day. Uh, it's my birthday. 42 years old. And, yeah, got to turn the lights on. Vision's going. <clears throat> Somebody pretty tall has been up here recently. Stands <laughs> up to my belly button. <clears throat> okay, okay. So, uh, I thought I'd take this opportunity to... Uh, to dive into a biblical story that's continued to bother me, to be honest, since the first time I've heard it, right? Uh, my hope is uh, that I would study it, find something of value, and uh, share it with my church family this morning. And if I can do that, then it's a, you know, check, check the box. I'll be happy. Well, what's the story? <clears throat> um... The story I've struggled with for, you know, 30 years plus, I suppose there are uh, plenty to pick from, to be honest, but this morning we're going to be in Genesis 9. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 9, uh, we're going to be talking about Noah and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Uh, if you take notes, the title of the sermon this morning is going to be Casual Contempt, Spiritual Enslavement and cultural annihilation. So there's a, there's a connection here in this story, I think, that's, that's apt for today. So hopefully we can tease that out. And, and uh, the other side of it is, you know, it doesn't have to be that way, right? So there's a, there's a warning in this story. And then there's also an optimistic other side of it that we'll present. Okay. <clears throat> well, you know, I believe that complicated biblical passages need to be understood at least in their context. And then you can, you can debate the exegetical steps from there. But what's the context of, of uh, this story? Um, the world has just been destroyed. <laughs> the flood has just happened, right? So uh, the flood has wiped out everything and everyone. No plants, no animals, no, no people. Um, there's just... There's just Noah uh, and whatever got into the ark, right? Whatever got into the ark. <clears throat> it's a complete and utter judgment of condemnation against creation. And, and God says, because I have found you, and I, you know, only you, <laughs> righteous in this generation, Noah and his offspring and his family and the animals that, that he got into the ark, those were saved because God found favor or found him to be a righteous man in this generation. All right, well, one question I have here is I wonder how Noah felt after all the dust settled, right? So, you know, it's probably pretty terrifying when the world is just destroyed. And then, you know, what happens after that? Where, where's, where's his head at? Well, we'll keep, we'll keep reading and see if we can find out. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. 
The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father, father of Canaan. Right? These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came all those people who were scattered over the earth. Uh, there's a couple of elements of foreshadowing here in these verses, right? Um, one thing I want you to keep in mind as we're going through is, is, is the idea of father, what it is to be a father, what, what they're talking about here. So we'll, we'll get into that, but that's, that's an element of foreshadowing. And Ham is the father of the Canaanites, right? Canaanites, uh, Canaanites have a story, you know, that we're going to get into as well. So this, this is a bit of foreshadowing. Father of the Canaanites. And then the other element <coughs> of foreshadowing is, um, is uh, from them came all the peoples who were scattered over the earth. So if you've read your Bible, and I'm sure you have, the next story sequentially here is the Tower of Babel. Maybe one of these days I'll, you know, maybe next sermon we'll talk about the Tower of Babel. But... That's a bit of foreshadowing. So, okay, back to the story. Uh, Genesis 9.20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. <laughs> it's not a good look, right? So that happens pretty quick, but this is not, not a terribly flattering moment for Noah. Um... I was listening to a guy talk about, you know, his perspective on the Bible at large, and he said one of the things that that is one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is a real, uh, real book of wisdom and real, you know, real text that should be believed is you don't whitewash the stories in the Bible. These people are real. They're they're real like you and me. They do stupid stuff from time to time, and and then you you figure out how to deal with it. You know, so. This is not a flattering moment for Noah. <clears throat> uh, he gets drunk and lays uncovered in his tent. It's also interesting to note to me here that it, it, it is not clear that anyone else did anything to this guy. Like, this is completely a self-inflicted situation, right? Um, he can't blame anyone for doing something to him. <laughs> He's just an idiot in this moment. And, and you know... It makes me think, how do we treat people like that? When, when you're working with someone who does something that's just stupid and you know it's going to hurt them, it's like, how do we, how do we treat those people? Um, we'll put a pin in that for now. Uh, okay. Moving on to 22. Okay, Ham, the father of Canaan. Again, father here. Remember, remember this foreshadowing. Father of Canaan saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards, covering their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Um, okay, so Ham saw his father naked. I think I think this verse is the key, right? So, so my 30-year-plus struggle with this passage, <laughs> this is the key. This is where all the action happens. Uh, and I think the key elements here are, you know, who, who and what is the father that we're talking about? What is it to be naked? 
And then what is our response when we're faced with a situation like this, right? Um, so there's two different approaches outlined here. One is the approach of Ham, which I think I'll continue, you know, for the rest of the time to call it the sin of Ham. I think it's pretty clear, you know, when we go through the rest of it, that this is, this is a big misstep. He messes up big time here. So the sin of Ham, um, it's a casual, disrespectful, uh, contemptuous treatment of his father, right? It's, it's an unnecessary, you know, taking advantage of the vulnerability of the situation, making his dad look bad, making the father look bad. Okay, well, the other approach is to honor your father, uh, protect the dignity of the father, take pains to intentionally not expose the weakness and vulnerability of your father, right? That's what the other two sons do. Okay, <clears throat> let's put a pin in this, uh, this section and jump to Joshua uh, 11, 16 through 20, and I'll read that. Feel free to flip over there, but... This is a bit of the rest of the story, as I don't know, Paul Harvey used to say, if you remember him. The rest of the story. So, um, so Joshua eleven sixteen says, So Joshua took this entire land, the hill country, all the Negev, the whole region of Goshen, the western foothills, the Arabah, and the mountains of Israel with their foothills, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, to Baal God in the valley of Lebanon, Below the mountains of Hermon, he captured all their kings, struck them all down, putting them to death. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. Except the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treatment of peace with the Israelites who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally exterminating them without mercy, as the Lord has commanded Moses. Well, what's the significance of this passage? Who are these people that the Israelites came in and wiped out? The Canaanites. They're the sons of Ham. They're, they are the people whose father is, is Ham. Ham is their father, right? Um, I don't think it's stretching the, the bounds of interpretation to... To, to, to recognize that the spirit of the father here is Ham, and Ham is the person who is disrespectful to the patriarchy. He's, he's the one who is taking advantage of situations. He is, he is their spiritual father in the sense that, uh, in the practical sense, he's their father, but he's also the father of their, their axiomatic beliefs, I think. I don't think it's stretching too far to say these are, these are the people of Ham. You know, we look at if you look at the genealogy of Cain, you see something very similar. There is a, an attitude that's pervasive in the children of Cain. Uh, they develop weapons of war. They wage war against their brothers. They, they, you know, it's like Tubal Cain. You kill one of mine, I'll kill seven of yours. Kind of, kind of, like there's an attitude that's pervasive. There's axiomatic beliefs that are pervasive in this line. So I don't think it's stretching too much to say that's what's going on here. These are the sons of Cain. Uh, these are the sons of Ham. Okay. Uh, so that's the part where there is social destruction. If you follow this, this mindset, if you 
allow yourself to be shaped by the spirit of your father. And if your father's ham, if you allow yourself to be shaped that way, this is, this is a reasonable outcome, right? Okay, back to Genesis. So Genesis 9, I'm going to read 24 here through the rest of the story here, through, through 27. When Noah awoke <clears throat> from his wine and found out what his younger son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord of the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. Alright, so that's how the story ends, right? It's, I think what struck me as I was growing up and trying to wrestle with this story, it seems so disproportionately harsh. Like he saw your dad in a stupid situation, and you know, I think it's normal for us to be like, well, he kind of deserves it. He's being an idiot. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do? He's, he's an idiot. And then, and then Noah's response is, you're done, man. Like, you're going to be a slave. And all your kids are going to be slaves for the rest of time. That seems a bit <laughs> escalated to, the, you know, to a high level. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, I mean, maybe we don't understand what's really going on here, right? I think it's reasonable to say if, 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 if we have a response like this and we're dealing with the Bible... We're probably wrong. There's probably something else here. So, so what could that be? Okay. Well, I think, again, the key is, what does it mean when we're talking about our father? What does it mean for him to be naked? And, and when we treat him with disrespect, how is it that we become slaves? I mean, that's a pretty interesting idea, right? You treat your father with disrespect and you, you enslave yourself. And you enslave your progeny. Uh, I gotta find where I'm at in my notes. Uh, Cursed be Cain in the lowest of slaves. He and his descendants. Okay. So there's probably a deeper truth here. A deeper truth. Okay. In my notes, as I've as I put this together, I capitalized father nakedness and slavery, and I hope I've hope I've emphasized that as we're going through this as well. Um, so, so what is the father here in this situation? What is the father in the story? Well, we all have a father, a biological father, a, you know, a man like other men, like any other man. There is a physical person who is our father. And then, as I've alluded to a bit, there's also, there's also the spirit of the father. There's the attitudes and the relationships that 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 spirit of the Father has that binds us together, that binds us to each other. There are the ideas and the values that are embodied. When you have a good father, <clears throat> um, when you have a good father that embodies the true spirit of the Father, it, it's, it's a man who protects you. He develops you. He instills courage in you. He allows you to, to grow and become into who you should be, you know. Uh, he provides a home, a place in time where you can grow and develop. Okay. So what is the father's nakedness here? I think to understand this, the first place you run into this idea of being 
naked is in the is in the Garden of Eden, right? So Adam and Eve have eaten from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, there's an idea of being naked without being ashamed, and then they eat the fruit, and then the scales fall off their eyes. They become self-aware. They become self-conscious. And then they're very concerned about this nakedness thing, right? So, so there's, this, there's an idea of good and evil, self-consciousness and awareness, and then vulnerability, shame, needing to be under some sort of protection like uh, you know, clothes and coverings. And <clears throat> so what do these things have to do with each other? I think this vulnerability idea is, you know, when you, when you become self-aware, maybe when you're a kid, you don't care. Like you, you run around in your diaper and nobody, you know, whatever. But there's a point where you realize that you're vulnerable, that you're weak, that you are susceptible uh, to dangers and privations. And maybe you realize on a deeper level that you are not who you thought you were. You're not strong enough to face everything you know life kicks you in the teeth a few times and you realize that you're weak that you're limited that you're not up to the task sometimes this is what it means to be vulnerable and to be naked <clears throat> and then you know if you're if so in the garden of eden you know humans stand on we, we stand upright right most animals we don't, they don't stand upright they their soft unbelly is protected they, they're hunched over. It's protected from, you know, musculatures and, uh, and, and just the position of their bodies when they're walking. Well, humans, we stand upright. Our soft underbellies are exposed. So when you become self-conscious, you realize this is, you know, I'm vulnerable. And if you realize that you're vulnerable, you realize, well, I can be hurt, but I can also hurt someone else. I can see their weaknesses and I can, I can hurt them too. That's the part of the good and evil. That's where good and evil comes in. It's like a self-consciousness comes into play when you realize that, that you're weak, but other people are weak. You can be hurt, but I can also hurt them. Uh, okay. So I think that's the nakedness element. And now let's talk about the sin of Ham. So what's the sin of Ham? <clears throat> and, and quite frankly, what is the practical application? I'm going to pull that in at this point too. So when we do not protect the dignity, when we do not appropriately have respect for our father, for our, for our spiritual father, for the gifts that were handed down to us from our forefathers, from God himself who you know, who's loved us. When we don't have appropriate respect and guard the dignity of our Father, uh, are we committing the sin of Ham? I feel the push all the time to be critical of my culture, to be critical of religion, to be critical of, you know, family, and, and this... This, this profound gift that, that we don't even realize a lot of times that we have, the sacrifice of the people who've gone before us to give us. It's just, I mean, the lights come on, you know, when you turn the switch. It's so unlikely. You know, the water, 
you know, we live in this protected bubble, man, and it's just, it's such a gift. So to be disrespectful of that, to be dismissive, to be willing to expose that to vulnerability and take advantage of it, I think that's the sin of him. That's what he's doing here, right? Uh, Historically speaking, it is so unlikely that we get along, right? If you, if you crack a history book, history is written by, you know, it's, it's dotted with wars and privation and strife. The, the vast majority of the human experience is us just trying to survive, right? It's like, it's like working together <laughs> in small groups to stave off the, the privations of, of nature. Right, we're warring against. We're trying to trying to keep the pestilence away from us. We're trying to, uh, you know, keep the the other tribes from killing us. We're trying to keep ourselves in check. You know, there's there's at least three different tiers here where we just, and it's so unlikely. This this gift that we have, this American exceptionalism, uh, that we all enjoy, and not just the American exceptionalism. There are other elements of this too, but um, it could be so much worse. It is so much worse in lots of places in today's time. I came across something, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling to express the profound miracle it is of what we have. But I will, I will say this, maybe it'll illustrate a little better too. I came across a, a you know, someone, I don't know if it's a quote or a fact. Or, if you think about post-World War II America, uh, we don't suffer from pestilence. Like, like, people don't die in infancy. We have defeated pestilence. We've defeated hunger. Like, you don't have to go starving around here anymore. We've defeated, you know, these, these privations that have plagued the human experience. For, for, I mean, that is such a gift. <laughs> and we don't even realize it, man. It's like, okay. Okay, I'll move on. Uh, but it's, it's overwhelming, you know? I think of the, the soldiers who, who sacrifice and, and, and bleed and, and are out there working thankless, and, and the men and women who go out into the world and do thankless jobs and keep things that, that break all the time working, you know? It's, okay. <laughs> okay, the sin of Ham is to contemptuously uh, capitalize, disrespect, and unnecessarily expose the vulnerabilities of your father. Now, criticism, if you can, if you can separate your criticism into gratitude and then hope for improvement, that, that's not what we're talking about. Criticism in and of itself is not a horrible thing. But to, to disrespect, to unduly criticize, to expose the vulnerabilities of your father, I think that's the problem. Okay. So, I'm going to pivot to Noah here a little bit. I think Noah is a pretty good embodiment of, of a father, of a good father. Uh, I mean, he, he built the ark, right? <laughs> he, he saved the world, literally. Through him, the world was, was, was redeemed. <clears throat> um, he's a pretty good incarnation of the father. Um, 
I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that our fathers not only build the arcs that we, that we exist in, but they, they hand them down. We, we kind of live in this insulated cultural bubble, family and church and, and state. And, you know, it's, it's a metaphorical arc that we exist inside of until we're old enough to get outside of it. But initially, it's not too much of a stretch to say that we live inside and exist within an arc. Uh, where we are protected, <clears throat> where we can grow, become what our Father is hoping uh, for us to become. Well, you know, this ark, this profound gift that we have, it's handed down <clears throat> to each generation, you know. Um, in our turn, we are shaped, allowed to spend our childhood years allowed to criticize as we're going through our kind of that teenage developmental phase. We learn what it is to, to shoulder the responsibilities of our society. And then in turn, we shoulder those responsibilities. We own that. And then finally, we hand it down to the next generation in our turn as well. Um, when we don't appropriately respect this, we doom ourselves and our progeny, our descendants, to the enslavement um, that comes from, comes from breaking down the pillars of our societies that are holding us up. And, I mean, how else could it, how else could it go, you know? What else could, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty hard to see another way. Um, okay, so I'm going to wrap it up here. <clears throat> if you find yourself in a place where you have been too critical, too disrespectful of your father, of the spirit of your father, of God himself who has gifted you life. I don't, I don't think it's hard to, to get to the place where you're, you're spiritually enslaved, right? That's probably a pretty good, pretty good guess on my part. <laughs> if, if you've done that, you're heading that way if, if you're not there already. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, there will be men at the, uh, at the doors who are, who are eager to pray with you, to minister to you, to love on you. Uh, there's another way. And if you have that need this morning, or if you have any other needs, feel free to, to come as we stand and sing. Number 902. <clears throat> what can wash away?